Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Jefferson County, Texas, which is right near the Louisiana border. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. March 3rd, 2022 was a big day for Caitlin Nicole Stone because she was officially turning 16. In teenage world, this is a monumental date because for whatever reason, 15 is way different than 16 in the official butterfly stage of your high school years. And she being a beautiful young woman with dark brown flowy hair and sparkling hazel eyes, Caitlin was owning that butterfly stage. On Facebook, Caitlin's mom, who has admittedly struggled with what she calls her own demons, described her daughter as being perpetually positive and caring. Caitlin had a heart of gold, but aside from all things nice, she was also fierce and brave, and she loved Hardin unconditionally without any limitations. And she always knew the right thing to say. A woman close to Caitlin told the Orange Leader that she was the strongest person I knew. She was a wonderful child. Her smile could brighten up anybody's day. Her laugh was contagious. Even on her worst day, she was amazing. On March 20th, less than three weeks after her butterfly birthday, Caitlin posted a collage of photos on Facebook. Most of the photos were of her and her 21-year-old boyfriend, Cody Lee Arnold. And yes, you heard that correctly, 16-year-old Caitlin was dating a man, and I repeat, a man who was five years older than her. If a grown-ass man has literally anything in common and is sexually attracted to a teenager, we have several problems, but let's move on with this story, and this is obviously not going to go well. It's unclear when Caitlin and Cody started dating, but what is clear is that their relationship was absolutely blowing minds and breaking laws. According to Texas law, the legal age of consent for sex is 17 years old. If a person is caught having sex with someone under 17, that person can be charged with indecency with a child, which is a second-degree felony and can bring between 2 to 20 years in prison. That being said, Texas does have Romeo and Juliet laws. However, they would not apply to Caitlin and Cody's relationship. Neil Davis Law Firm reports that if someone younger than 17 has sex with a person who is no more than three years older and no threat or force was applied, then a sex crime charge against the older person may be reduced or even dropped. Caitlin was 16 years old and Cody was 21, and no Romeo and Juliet legislation could make their relationship anything but extremely illegal. Prior to dating a child, Cody Arnold had a history of breaking the law, although it was in less disgusting ways. In 2017, when Cody was a 17-year-old high school student, he was charged with felony criminal mischief after he caused nearly $2,800 in damage to a teacher's vehicle. KFDM reported that the teacher had caught Cody and a group of students approaching a restricted area near campus, so the teacher told them to go back to campus, which they all did. Later, the teacher was approached by students who said they had just seen Cody take a key and scratch the side of the teacher's 2015 Jeep Cherokee. The teacher ran outside and found her car key obliterated. She also found Cody, who was still near her car like the dumbass he is. The teacher confronted Cody over the damage and said he didn't do it. 
but at least four students had witnessed it, so his word was absolutely worthless at that point, and the teacher pressed charges. Cody was indicted on felony criminal mischief, and in March of 2018, he pled guilty and was sentenced to five years of probation, which was deferred. Deferred just means that a judge gave you a be a good boy time frame, and if you are, the charges get wiped off your record, and it's not totally uncommon for juveniles. Following Keymageddon, some kind of shit went down with Cody, but no one seems to know what. Just that on February 16th of 2022, Cody posted on Facebook, Hey, ya boy back out of jail. 100 emoji, 100 emoji. What's happening? Which is obviously the first thing you do when you get out of jail. You leave unnecessary vowels and consonants behind, and you check out the new emoji updates on the nearest iPhone. Like I mentioned earlier, no one seems to know the details of what put Cody in jail before his famed announcement of release, but we do know that he was about to hop right back into the Breaking the Law Breakfast Club. Because as we know, in March, Cody was officially dating barely 16-year-old Caitlin Stone, and by the end of that month, they were living together in Cody's dad's Jefferson County, Texas home. Which begs a lot of questions like how this was allowed and how did Cody's own father feel about it? Who was taking her to school? Was she getting up early with her and driving there? Because his track record doesn't leave a ton of time for getting a driver's license and any money for a car. Was she going to the local bus stop and hopping on the yellow brick to get there? I have so many questions and about zero of them matter at this point. On the night of Friday, March 25th, Caitlin and Cody hung out with 24-year-old Chelsea Ann Marie Shipp, who wasn't exactly known for being a hoot. Someone insinuating that they know Chelsea described her on Facebook as always drinking and up in the drama. Another man posted that he'd gotten into it behind a parking spot with her at some point, and I don't know what that exactly means, but it sounds pretty obnoxious. Anywho... At some point while they were all hanging out, Chelsea stepped outside to call her friend and former co-worker, Jaden. They talked about how they hadn't seen each other in a while, and Chelsea was in an invite-yourself-over kind of mood and asked Jaden if she could come over to her place. She said she was with Cody and his girlfriend, whose name Chelsea said she didn't know. Jaden told Chelsea that they could all come by. At the time Chelsea called, Jaden was hanging out with a friend who actually knew Cody, so when Jaden got off the phone, she told the friend that Chelsea, Cody, and his girlfriend were all stopping by. According to an affidavit, that friend told Jaden that Cody was actually seeing both Caitlin and Chelsea. So a 16-year-old and a 24-year-old were dating 21-year-old Cody, according to that friend. So we potentially have a love triangle going on, and you know that girl knows Caitlin's damn name. Shortly thereafter, Chelsea, Cody, and Caitlin got to Jaden's place. Who knows why, since they only stayed for about 10 or 15 minutes before leaving, and the only thing that seemed to be accomplished by the short visit was that Jaden knew that Cody had likely just stopped by with both of his girlfriends, neither of which seemed to know about the other. The following day, March 26th, Jaden was at work when Chelsea called and asked if she could borrow Jaden's car. When Jaden asked why, Chelsea said she 
had some things she needed to do, which is never a good sign. Never let someone borrow your car on the pretense of things because nine times out of 10, it's going to be illegal things. And that's basically science. However, Jaden didn't know that imaginary rule and said that after she and her coworker Abby finished whatever they were doing, they could all meet up and Chelsea could borrow her car. At around noon, Jaden and Abby met up with Chelsea, who had Cody with her, and they switched vehicles. Yes, you heard me, switched. In the It's Probably Gonna Be a Crime handbook, borrowing a car when you have a perfectly good one scores in at a 9.9 out of 10 on the probability scale. Jaden took Chelsea's white Dodge truck, while Chelsea and Cody took Jaden's blue Nissan Maxima. According to an affidavit, before they went their separate ways, Jaden again asked Chelsea what she needed her car for. This time, Chelsea said she had some business to take care of. We're at a 9.95 at this point, but at the time, crime was not crossing Jaden's mind. She just thought she was helping out a friend. After switching vehicles, Jaden and Abby went to Abby's house and dropped off some work supplies. They had a couple drinks, went to Baytown and got their nails done before going back to Abby's place. Jaden then left and got back to her own place later that evening. It's not totally clear exactly what Chelsea and Cody did in the four hours and 20 minutes following the car swap, but thanks to an affidavit, we do know that around 4.20 p.m., Chelsea texted Jaden's nephew, Stephen, and asked him for help getting rid of something that was dead, but it was not an animal, which is really specific. Unless it was a bug, it was obviously a human, and she just put that shit in writing and the writing kept coming adding need to package it up so i can take care of the rest no worries though no chelsea i am extremely worried looking at the affidavit it's unclear if steven ever replied to those texts but we do know that he did not help her because who the fuck would Four hours later, at around 8.15 p.m., Chelsea drove to Stephen's house in Jaden's car. There, Chelsea told Stephen that she'd just come back from Tractor Supply, which, if you don't have one near you, it's a place where you can find anything from beef jerky to dog food, live baby chicks, and every kind of farm supply you might ever need. The two talked for a bit before Chelsea decided to drop a bombshell on Stephen. She said that earlier that day, while she was in Cody's bedroom, she shot a girl whose name was either Katie or Kaylee. She said she wasn't sure. Chelsea said Cody asked her to kill the girl for him. She led with fucking tractor supply and saved the shooting someone for last. After processing all those words passing through his ears, Stephen asked what she did with the body, which is a fair question considering Chelsea's not-dead-animal text from earlier. Looks like Stephen was her only hopeful resource that never came through because Chelsea told him the body was still in the room, that Cody was freaking out and had asked her to get rid of the body for him because he couldn't do it. Chelsea told Stephen that she had managed to get rid of the gun, but she needed help getting rid of the body too. According to an affidavit, Stephen refused to, quote-unquote, assist or have anything to do with Chelsea. A few hours later, at around 11 p.m., Jaden texted Chelsea and asked if they could switch back their vehicles. Jaden explained that she'd driven Chelsea's Dodge truck to run errands in Baytown and quickly realized that gas was way too expensive in the truck and she wanted her affordable Nissan back. 
Chelsea texted back and said that she would bring the car back in the morning, which seems shitty in a sea of things that are way more shitty than this, but you don't get to make the rules for when you bring back someone else's car. That's how you wind up with unauthorized use charges, which is actually the least of Chelsea's worries from like here on out. According to an affidavit, at around 8 a.m. on what was now March 27th, Jaden was getting ready for work when Chelsea finally showed up to return her car. When Chelsea went into the house, Jaden got the vibe that something was bothering Chelsea. She asked Chelsea if she was okay and if she wanted to talk about anything. Chelsea simply replied with a no, so Jaden told her, I'm here if you need me and that they could talk anytime. Chelsea said okay and that they walked outside together. It is in that moment that things started to get criminally cryptic. Chelsea told Jaden, hey, don't forget if anybody asks you, I was with you in Baytown and Cody had your car. Attempted alibi and throwing her counterpart under the bus? Check. Jaden asked her, why, what's up? And like a true asshole, Chelsea answered a question with a question. She asked Jaden if she had her phone on her and Jaden said no, that it was in her bedroom. According to an affidavit, this question made Jaden suspicious since she had quote-unquote known Chelsea to do meth before and thought it may have had something to do with that. She had no idea that it was way worse than supposed meth and instead had everything to do with murder. Chelsea told Jaden, get in the truck, which feels like a hard no, but Jaden did hop in the truck and asked again, what's up? Chelsea, holding nothing back at this point, said, I got rid of her. Now, she didn't specify who, but Jaden asked, what did you do, beat her up or something? But in no uncertain terms, Chelsea said, no, I shot her. And while saying this, Chelsea made sure to play out a shooting motion with two fingers as if she was shooting a gun and moved her thumb two times downward like she was firing it. Jaden asked, where is she? Is she okay? And Chelsea replied with, Cody asked me to take care of a problem and now he has to do what he has to do. Jaden asked again, where is she? And Chelsea replied, Cody's supposed to take care of that. Officially over all the evasive bullshit, Jaden asked Chelsea who she had shot and killed for Cody. Chelsea told her it was Cody's girlfriend, that her name was either Katie or Kaylee. Naturally, Jaden asked Chelsea why she killed Cody's girlfriend, and according to an affidavit, Chelsea replied that one of them was sleeping around on the other. It's unclear what Chelsea meant here. Like, did she mean that Cody was sleeping around on Caitlyn or that Caitlyn was sleeping around on Cody? Because according to Jaden's friend from earlier in the episode, it was Chelsea who was creeping on Cody's live-in girlfriend, Caitlyn, and I repeat Caitlyn because she has a name. Jaden asked Chelsea where she shot and killed Cody's girlfriend, and Chelsea said she did it in Cody's house, quote unquote, in one of the rooms over the carpeted floor. So DNA is going to be all over and under that. Jaden asked Chelsea what she did with the body, and Chelsea said it was still in the room. She added to the second person in 24 hours that Cody was freaking out and had asked Chelsea to get rid of the body for him because he couldn't do it himself. And is anyone else wondering where Cody's dad is at this point? Because it's his dad's house that this is apparently all happening in. Before the conversation ended, Jaden decided to ask Chelsea about the gun she had used, and Chelsea said, I'm just going to tell them it was stolen. Jaden took this to mean that if police questioned Chelsea, she would just say that her gun had been stolen. The conversation ended soon after that. 
Jaden was troubled by Chelsea's admissions, but she had to go to work, and for whatever reason, that's the route she took in that moment. But throughout the day, the troubled feeling grew, and at some point, Jaden's nephew Stephen told her all about the things that Chelsea had asked him to do the day prior, which only made Jaden more concerned. And I feel like emotion should be a lot bigger than troubled and concerned here, but we are where we are. After Jaden got off at around 4 p.m., she went home and called her father-in-law, who was a constable in a different county. I had to look up what a constable was, and it's an elected law enforcement officer that can enforce both civil and criminal laws, whereas a police officer can only enforce criminal and traffic laws. Jaden told the constable that she didn't know if Chelsea was serious or not, but he told her that she needed to take it seriously. He also told Jaden not to get back into that Nissan Maxima, which Chelsea had borrowed the day before. He said that the police would need to check it out. Jaden took her father-in-law's advice and called the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. She asked for officers to come to the house, and when they got there, she told them everything that she and her nephew knew. Officers then went and spoke to Stephen, who confirmed everything that Jaden had said. The officers then relayed the information to homicide detective Daniel Powell, and through deductive reasoning and good old-fashioned detective work, they figured out that the woman Chelsea killed was most likely Cody's live-in girlfriend, 16-year-old Caitlin Stone. At around 10.15 p.m. that night, Detective Powell went to Cody's dad's house in Beaumont, which is a town inside of Jefferson County. When he pulled up, Cody was on the front porch, and seeing that the law had just arrived at his house, Cody's father came out as well. Powell asked Cody when he had last seen his girlfriend, Caitlin, and he told him that he'd seen her at around 9 p.m. the day before, which sounds not true. The old criminal car switcheroo was done at noon, a whole nine hours before that. Powell then asked the two men if they could search the home, and they both said yes. According to an affidavit, Detective Powell entered the house and eventually made his way into Cody's bedroom. It was there, in plain sight, he saw Caitlin's body lying in Cody's bed. The upper portion of her body was wrapped in a black garbage bag, and the lower portion was wrapped in a blanket. There was a bullet shell casing on the pillow next to her body. Right next to the bed was a large, light-colored trash can. Inside the trash can was a fresh trash bag. An affidavit states, The trash can would have been sufficient size to conceal or transport the body of Caitlin, as her body is extremely petite. Cody was immediately placed in handcuffs and read his rights. Powell asked Cody to tell him exactly what had happened. He explained that on the day prior, March 26th, he'd been hanging out with Caitlin and Chelsea at his place. Throughout the day, he and Chelsea used methamphetamines and argued, which is quite the afternoon. According to an affidavit, Cody said that Caitlin was possibly pregnant, and by possibly, it sounds like he means absolutely, because his 16-year-old live-in girlfriend had reportedly taken an at-home test, which was positive. Cody and Chelsea argued about Caitlin being underage and how Cody's relationship with her was illegal. Cody told the detective that Chelsea said he was going to get in trouble for impregnating a teenager. And this argument is erring on the side of mind-blowing because in some alternate universe, Chelsea solved the illegal dilemma she feared with a far more illegal action. 
Cody said that at some point between 2 p.m. and 3 p.m., he left Caitlin sleeping in his bed and went to the bathroom. And when he walked back into his bedroom, he saw Chelsea pointing a gun at Caitlin as she was lying in the bed. He said that Chelsea then pulled the trigger, killing Caitlin. Cody told the detective that he left Caitlin in his bed from that point forward. He ended up covering her head with a trash bag because he, quote unquote, did not want to look at it. And as for the large trash can next to his bed, I haven't found any explanation. 21-year-old Cody was taken straight to jail and booked on several different charges. First-degree murder, possession of a controlled substance, and criminal mischief. His bond was set at a whopping $1 million, so he was definitely not billing himself out. Officers went to arrest 24-year-old Chelsea Ship, but she was nowhere to be found. A murder warrant was issued for her arrest, and the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office asked the public to help them track her down. Authorities spent days searching for Chelsea, but finally, at around 3.45 a.m. on March 31st, she was located four hours away at a home just north of Austin. When officers took her into custody, they noticed that she had cut her long, dirty blonde hair and dyed it dark brown and red. And she put some serious effort into it. The girl in her TikTok looks completely different than the girl in her mugshot, but her disguise was a shitty one, and Chelsea was extradited back to Jefferson County, where she too had her bond set at an unattainable $1 million. Following Chelsea's arrest, Caitlin's mom posted to Facebook saying, Mama's baby, my sweet, precious baby girl, never did I think I would be sitting here holding the urn of my child's ashes when I wanted to hold my sweet baby in my arms. The reality of knowing that's the only way I can hold my daughter, my oldest baby girl, for the rest of my existence on this earth. In another post, she shared a video of Caitlin singing and wrote, My baby girl Caitlin singing, God, I miss my daughter, still doesn't feel real at all. It's been a month and four days since they took your life, baby girl, and mama misses you so much. I used to say you had the voice of an angel. Well, my sweet baby girl, mama's here crying in tears because that's my angel baby's voice. If I could trade spots with you, I would, baby girl, just so you could have gotten the chance to live life a bit longer. Mama misses you, my baby. I can't believe they murdered my sweet baby girl, my oldest daughter. Daughter. On June 22nd, a grand jury officially indicted Chelsea and Cody on charges of first-degree murder. While it's not believed that Cody was the one who physically killed Caitlin, it is believed that he worked in concert with Chelsea to commit and cover up her murder. Cody's probable cause affidavit lists out all the things he did to help Chelsea. He did not report the murder to law enforcement. Instead, he concealed Caitlin's body with a trash bag and went with Chelsea to get a vehicle to transport Caitlin's body. Then, when Detective Powell showed up at his house, Cody lied and said that he hadn't seen Caitlin since 9 p.m. the night before, even though she was lying dead in his bed. Cody may not have pulled the trigger, but he was just as guilty as Chelsea in the eyes of the law. Since Chelsea and Cody's indictments in June of 2022, very little information has been released. As of this recording, Chelsea and Cody are still sitting in Jefferson County Jail. 
When it comes to Caitlin's case, there are still so many unanswered questions. As of this recording, it's unclear if 16-year-old Caitlin was in fact pregnant at the time of her murder. According to the Orange Leader, a preliminary autopsy report basically said that there was no evidence of a pregnancy in her uterus that was visible to the naked eye, which is a pretty specific thing to say. If she had just found out, and this is just speculation because it hasn't been confirmed, she'd likely have just been around four weeks pregnant, which would mean that her baby or embryo would be around the size of a poppy seed. And if she was six weeks along or two weeks past her missed period, the baby or embryo would be about the size of a baked bean. I know we're giving food references here, but I figured that's probably an easier visual than millimeters. Her autopsy report said that further testing would be done to make an official determination, which would be a pretty simple blood test. And if those results are available, they haven't been shared with the public. That being said, her mother posted to Facebook on March 29th, saying in part, God, I didn't see this coming and my grandbaby, my baby girl was pregnant. And how do I even begin to process this? Another question that lingers is what exactly was Cody and Chelsea's relationship? Were they together like Jaden's friend said, or were they just friends? But whatever they were, it's almost certainly going to be addressed at trial because a love triangle is absolutely a motive for murder. Especially after you watch Chelsea's infamous TikTok video that she made in February of 2022, just the month before. In that video, she stitched another video of a girl who was dancing around and singing the term so what with the caption, I have a girlfriend. To summarize that, the original TikTok was a girl essentially saying that she doesn't care when a guy tells her that he has a girlfriend. Chelsea added her own video to the end of the original girl's video, and in that, she racks what sounds like a gun and says, So what? Okay. To say that that video did not age well would be an understatement. And I think we should also acknowledge that pregnancy is also room for motive. I've said it before, and I will never stop saying it because it is absolutely horrifying and ridiculous and unacceptable, but homicide is the leading cause of death in pregnant women. Caitlin Stone was a child. She was 16, but she was a child, and all she wanted to do was love and be loved, and she was too young to know that a man in his 20s with a criminal record was the red flag he wound up being. Her young brain never could have processed the danger she was in, and the adults in her life who claimed to be her friend and boyfriend stole her future and possibly the future of her unborn child. Murder doesn't just affect one person, it is a ripple effect that never stops going. The only way her mother will ever hold her oldest daughter is by holding her urn, which is a fact that I don't think anyone can process. It's a club nobody wants to be a part of, and her mom cannot get out of it. She did not ask to be in it, and she will never be able to escape it. Caitlin's siblings will never see their sister again, and her family has a hole that will never be filled. As Chelsea and Cody move through the court process and get closer to a trial, I will be sure to update you. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Caitlin's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. And on Thursday nights, we go live on TikTok and talk about this week's episode and all other true crime on your mind. Follow me on TikTok at the Heather Ashley and tap on the bell icon so you'll be notified when we go live. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. 
If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It absolutely makes my day every single day. And if you have a case that you would like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. This is usually the time at the end of the episode where you hear a little clip of music and then an ad plays, but today we're going to do something a little different. I haven't done an audio update for any of our cases in a really long time, so I wanted to add a few updates to the end of this episode. In March of 2022, we did a three-part series on the disappearance and death of Elizabeth Salgado, a case that I still think about every single day. At the end of her episode, you learned about her aunt Miriam, who also went missing but in Zion National Park. Earlier this month, March of 2023, a man hiking in Washington County stumbled across human remains. KSL reports that items close to the body confirm that the remains belong to Miriam. The Salgado family has known more tragedy than any family ever should, and while they now have some answers as to what may have happened to Miriam, they still have zero answers when it comes to Elizabeth. If you know anything, please contact local law enforcement. Our next update comes from a case that we covered in October of 2022. You learned about the disappearance of Alexis Gabe. All hope in finding her remains felt lost when her boyfriend was shot by police. However, just a month later, in November of 2022, partial remains confirmed to be Alexis's were recovered and more remains were recovered in January. Those are being analyzed by the coroner to try and figure out her cause of death, and her family is still focusing on searching for the rest of her remains. Our third update comes from a case that we covered in November of 2022 when we did a two-part series on Oakley Carlson, a sweet little girl who had the perfect foster family but was placed back in her parents' care despite an absurd amount of red flags. After a mysterious fire broke out in her birth parents' home, Oakley was never seen again. Her biological mother and father have served small sentences on unrelated charges, and unfortunately, her mother was released in January. However, law enforcement was right there to arrest her again upon her release for separate charges. According to the Chronicle, those charges include three counts of first-degree identity theft and one count of second-degree identity theft, all of which are felonies. Oakley Carlson's case is still unsolved, and if you know absolutely anything, please contact local law enforcement. Our fourth update is a case we covered in January of 2023, the Haight family out of Utah, in which Michael Haight allegedly killed his wife Tasha, their kids, and his mother-in-law before turning the gun on himself. Since the episode, we've learned that there was so much more to the Haight's impending divorce than we could have ever imagined. According to Fox 13, two years prior to the killings, Michael had been investigated for reports of child abuse. The Haight's oldest daughter, Macy, accused him of emotionally abusing her and at times the abuse becoming physical. In an interview at a children's justice center, Macy recounted an instance where her father allegedly got mad, grabbed her by the shoulders, and banged her head into a piece of wood along the back of a couch. In another incident, Fox 13 reports that Macy told police that her father started to choke her and she was scared he was going to kill her. She also noted that Michael would talk down about Tasha in front of her, calling her stupid and added that he even took her mother's phone to keep her from leaving the house. 
When Macy would defend her mother, she reported that Michael just got more upset. Michael's response to police was that he had yelled and had, at least on one occasion, taken his wife's phone to check her text messages, but that he'd never mistreated his family and that all of that must have been some kind of miscommunication, which seems like an unfathomably dangerous amount of gaslighting. Nothing came from that investigation and no charges were pressed. In a swift gut punch, Michael's obituary published by The Spectrum detailed how he lived a life of service and exceeded in everything he did, that each of his children were truly a cherished miracle, and stated that he made a point to spend time with each and every one of his children. You can imagine how tone deaf that sounded, and the obituary has since been removed, though it can still be viewed by a copy of it shared by the New York Post. The last update we have today is from a case we covered in February of this year, 2023. The one of Nicola Bully, who disappeared along the river wire while walking her dog. After three searches of the river all the way down to the bay, law enforcement was at a complete loss. However, since the episode aired, Slate reports that Nicola's body was found about a mile downstream of the bench where her phone was found. My London reports that she was formally identified through her dental records. Some have speculated that she hadn't been in the water the whole time, while others attribute the delay in finding her body to tough search conditions. When her body was being pulled out of the river, a man took a video which he shared on TikTok, which is such a shitty thing to do. BBC reports that the TikTok man has since been detained on suspicion of malicious communications offenses and perverting the course of justice. According to My London, her autopsy has been completed, but the coroner will not rule on her official cause of death until an inquest, which is scheduled in June. That's all the updates I have for you guys today, but I will try and do this a little bit more often. We update a lot in the Facebook group and on social media, but I think it's important that we do it in audio as well. So this will be the first of many updates for you guys. We're officially at the end of the episode today, and it is time to share a review that made my entire day. When I tell you guys that reviews absolutely make my day, I'm not even joking a little bit. This one is from No, It's Stupid, and the title is All of the Things. It says, Heather is amazing. All of her episodes are very informative and tell the entire story. She is truly big mad about cases and never fails to draw gasps or have me yelling. I look forward to her episodes every week. She is also so down to earth that I can girl whenever she replies to me on Facebook. And I'm pretty sure she meant fangirl, but I got you, girl. She added, so happy I found this podcast and recommend it highly to everyone. Seriously, you guys are the absolute best. This podcast would be nothing without every single one of you. And every time you share it with someone, I feel like I'm almost unworthy of everyone who listens. I still feel like I just started the podcast. I still wonder sometimes how we got to this point, but it's literally all because of you and I love you and I will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>